Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Uh, we are, what can I say? I mean, the last week has been just a rapid-fire uh, a barrage of unimaginable news developments. There's really no other way to put it. A week ago, we were here uh, recording an episode, and uh, as some of as our regular listeners will remember, uh, maybe about halfway through the episode, I mentioned that I was seeing some stuff on maybe Twitter or some you know somewhere online that there was some you know kind of some people breaking down some you know breaking a barricade or kind of you know. Uh, Trump protesters, you know, scuffling with police or something like that. And we know, we all know what became of that. We didn't, we didn't know it. Uh, we, you know, we didn't know what was really happening when we were recording that episode. Then we came back and, you know, it was, but it was such a momentous event that we came back the next day to do another episode because kind of like, that is one of those news events that once it happens, everything is totally outdated and, 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 uh, I'm looking for some word that is more than dated. You have to come back and revisit everything with this, with this dramatically new crazy thing. And I'm not gonna, I'm not going to you know, revisit all the developments that you you already know that you've seen over the last week. But today, uh, President Trump is going to become the first president in history to be impeached a second time. There's no question that's going to happen. That is a done deal, and that that itself is is is, is totally unimaginable. His presidency has a week left. There are almost no circumstances where it would be anything but insane to impeach a president whose presidency ends in one week. And yet he has found the one circumstance where somehow it does make sense. And it is not only something that, you know, the Democrats got whipped up about or, you know, there's always... Always the standard criticisms. Oh, you know, the left is pushing them to do this or that or the other. Republicans are signing on. There was a moment last night, and again, we're recording this uh, on Wednesday. Wednesday, God, I'm losing track of days. Wednesday, the 13th of January, 2021, the day of the vote on impeachment. Last night, uh, for several hours, mid-evening, it seemed like President Trump's support among congressional Republicans might be collapsing. And it still might. Uh, there was a report that Mitch McConnell thinks uh, President Trump committed impeachable acts. He's pumped that the Democrats are going to 
uh, impeach him and and sees it as a way that Republicans can purge Trump and end Trumpism or at least end Trump within the political system. And, And particularly there, I mean, obviously, there's the stigma of impeachment. But he can be barred from ever running for office again, which which obviously would be a pretty big deal. Take 2024 out of, you know, it, it, it ironically. The biggest beneficiaries of that are all the would be Trumps, the Josh Hawley's, the Cruises, the Tom Cotton's, the Nikki Haley's, these people who want to nudge Trump aside and run themselves, but want to do it as the heir of Trump. And that way they can have their cake and eat it, too. They can say, like, make me president because I love Trump the most. And they don't have to deal with Trump saying, no, 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 no. I want to be president again. At the same time, or maybe a little before that, Liz Cheney, daughter of the former vice president, uh, the chairman of the House GOP caucus, she is supporting impeachment. She is going to vote to impeach the president. That is a big, big deal. And a few other, you know, kind of backbench rhino types came out and said, and I think now it's maybe a half dozen Republicans have announced they're going to vote for impeachment. And it really seemed like, okay, this is it. This is the dam giving way. And then overnight, the dam did not give way. And uh, I think we still don't quite know what is going to happen there. It's also not even clear that we're going to go immediately to a trial. They may kind of like put the put the trial in deep freeze for a while and come back to it in the spring once, you know, once they've given Joe Biden a cabinet and everything. So things are totally nuts. You have these crazy pictures this morning, you know, both both reassuring and crazy of National Guard troops in fatigues bivouacking in the Capitol. You know, in those like in in the halls with all the statues and everything, and they're camped out, armed, ready. If this happens again, and we have seen a lot of reports uh, of various sorts over the last 48 hours that it could happen again. People are suddenly awakening to the fact that this stuff is out there and and you have this, you know, kind of melange of, you know, some of it is 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 white supremacist, some of it's neo-Nazi, but uh, we had and I I. I don't remember which of our which of our colleagues wrote it, but we had an article a couple days ago, basically saying how this uh, insurrection last week has changed how people who follow extremism understand right wing extremism in this country, and the gist is that not everybody, you know, everybody there. We may say they're sympathetic to white nationalism, sympathetic to kind of, you know, neo-Nazism, and and maybe that's true. But the point is that a lot of people there are not actually members of any of these groups. They do not identify as neo-Nazis. They are not, you know, explicitly uh, white nationalists. They're not all white. The joining integument to this mob, to this group, was people who are willing to get violent and attack the government on behalf of Donald Trump. That it really is not just a cult of personality, it is, you know, we call this normally like a fascist movement that is built around Donald Trump. 
And QAnon is clearly a major, major part of it. And and one thing I was thinking as as we got ready to record this episode was this this didn't happen this did not have to happen for anybody to see this but it has brought home the fact that Q QAnon is no longer Q this kind of thing on the margins it has become indistinguishable really from Trump activism and just in the sense that if you look at hardcore Trump people they have completely absorbed the QAnon it's not even ideology the narrative the kind of uh you know the cinematic universe to put a <laughs> you know to put a kind of an ironic twist on it you know all the players all the theories the symbolism it's really kind of indistinguishable there there really isn't a Q anymore that's just trumpism it's become sort of the ideology of 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 trumpism uh and in a sense you know it's kind of more of a more of an aesthetic than an ideology because that's the kind of the thing the trumpism has never had what americans are used to thinking of as an ideology it's trump that trump should be all powerful that you support trump that trump dominates people and hurts people who are bad and that's why you support him so uh we should be at a point of winding down a presidency right now and we are but um, I don't think we have any idea what's going to happen over the next seven days. Um, and one thing we're going to discuss in this episode is how did, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very volatile situation. As I said, 48 hours ago, 72 hours ago, it seemed like, okay, the Democrats are going to impeach him, but obviously... Republicans are going to, you know, kind of back him up. And that's kind of where we are. And Mike Pence isn't going to do the 25th Amendment thing. And then yesterday, it kind of seemed like, you know what? He might be removed from office. And I've been trying to get to kind of think through like, okay, what happened? What happened that he kind of lost control of this all of a sudden? And I have my own ideas. And now kind of maybe how do you get control again? So that's what we're going to discuss. Before we do, let me remind everybody that uh, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. We're looking at another dark, frigid winter with a 99% chance of crushing depression and Zoom fatigue. True enough. Warm up the winter blues with Grady's reusable all-in-one cold brew kit. With 36 servings per bag, our velvety smooth coffee concentrate is brewed strong for a caffeine kick you can enjoy hot or iced. Just add water. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. So, uh, David and Kate, my co-hosts, uh, what are we? What on earth are we talking about today? <laughs> Hey, Josh. Hey. Thanks for uh, the intro. Yeah. So, Kate, I wondered if maybe we could start with you. And I'm curious what you make of the kind of building Republican support for impeachment from, like Josh mentioned, Liz Cheney and a number of other House Republicans. Is it a matter of, you know, Democrats have the majority? Any single Republican vote won't be the deciding factor, you know, in whether Trump is impeached again or... Is it some broader kind of groundswell in the party? Do you have a sense of kind of what's behind that so far? 
yeah, so I think my thoughts on it are that, you know, it's pretty clear already we're seeing more Republican defections than last time in the House because last time the defections were zero. Um, but I agree with Josh that, you know, we kind of saw this little mini explosion of Republican defections after that New York Times report came out, which had, you know, McConnell saying he was glad about impeachment, McCarthy saying, um, you know, both of these things privately, but McCarthy asking people if he should ask for Trump's resignation, making overtures to Democrats about censuring the president. Um, and it was so funny. It was almost like that was the damn break, you know, that these Republican leaders, uh, whether they themselves leaked this information or not, it seemed kind of leaky to me. But as soon as that came out, uh, then we kind of had the Republic, some House Republicans, a handful, uh, say that they're going to vote for impeachment. But you know, kind of like Josh pointed out, these are like the Adam Kinzingers of the House. These people are all people who, if you had to name the first House member, House Republicans who would go over to the other side, it would be these people. Um, and I think Cheney's is probably the most significant because of the leadership role that she has. But it's been a while since Cheney kind of enjoyed the warm embrace of most of the Republican caucus. There's been talk of booting her out of leadership for a while now. And you know, if you recall, the only reason that she was kind of jettisoned to such a high level of leadership in the first place is because the optics of having all white men lead the Republican caucus in the House while Democrats were ushering in the most diverse class they've ever had was just a pretty bad one. So she got that leadership. And isn't she like in the, her third term or something or second? Yeah. Term? I mean, like she's she's very new. Yeah. Is it third she, term? I think I think it's maybe her third term, maybe her fourth. Yeah, maybe, yeah that sounds maybe. right. She got promoted really fast yeah. to that position. Um, and not to, you know, not to take away from these Republicans, I think even, I think at this point, I'm of the camp that better late than never, better for our democracy, for Republicans to turn against Trump in a real way, not in the calling for unity way, but voting for his impeachment to me, that is making a real statement. And I would rather have people do that now than never. But we haven't seen the likes of, even kind of the Republican who represents what you would call the center of the House caucus at this point, we haven't seen even those people, much less the kind of more rabid Trumpy types. Um, and, it, you know, kind of like you pointed out, David, the, the heart of this is going to happen on the Senate because Ch Democrats have the majority in the House. Trump is going to be impeached whether or not more Republicans come over. That doesn't really matter so much except on the basis of kind of the individual profiles and courage. But you know, on the Senate, we've seen these, like I say, very leaky feeling stories about McConnell being so mad at Trump, McConnell ignoring his calls, you know, being so mad that he lost Georgia, so mad about the siege, being glad about impeachment. You know, I will eat my hat if McConnell ends up voting for Trump's impeachment. That seems so unlikely to me, you know, maybe I'll be wrong, but this to me just kind of feels like a way to show people that, hey, we're very angry at Trump. We are not OK with this. But do they end up getting 17 Republican senators to vote for impeachment after, you know, last time around, it was just poor Mitt Romney out there by himself? I, 17 seems steep to me. I, I can even see getting a handful. You know, it's not that hard to come up with the first like five or six Senate Republicans who maybe would vote for impeachment this time. But as soon as you start trying to get 
10 of them, 15 of them. You start reaching into the realms of asking for a vote for people who have never shown any inclination to stand up to Trump over the past four years. Um, yeah, so I think we will end up seeing probably maybe a handful more House Republican um, defections, maybe a handful of senators, but from even from where we stand now, where things have been very squishy and these lists seem kind of in flux, there just has not been an outpouring of, you know, I will say on the record right now that I am voting for impeachment that would indicate to me that we're going to see a groundswell of the size that would actually remove Trump from office. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, you even have, sorry, go ahead. No, Josh. you go ahead. You go ahead. You have like Lindsey Graham, who always has his finger to the wind, right? <laughs> kind of trying to figure out which way uh, the political winds are blowing. You know, he's been one of Trump's biggest enablers of the last four years. And even he, you know, I guess not surprisingly, has a statement out today saying, oh, it, you know, this, is, this would only further divide the country and just incite more rage and potential violence and stuff like that. So, you know, you had... Lindsey Graham also on the night, I guess this was last week. Yeah, he was off the train and then hopped back on the train. He's exactly. done with yeah. Trump. Haven't yeah. you guys heard? Yeah. That was the last straw. He's done. Exactly. <laughs> he gave that speech where some people speculate, oh, maybe he's had a drink or two before getting up and delivering these remarks that, uh, you know, Biden and Kamala Harris will be sworn in and inaugurated and be the next president and vice president. And we got to stop all this madness. And then, yeah, he comes out and sort of not defends Trump exactly, but just says, oh, enough with the it sort, division. It sort of defends him. He has this line saying Trump is calling for calm, which is clearly not, I mean, it is <laughs> not true. I mean, A, that's sort of what, what struck me in that, in that, um, what struck me was what was implicit in that statement. And he said, in any case, now Trump's, you know, calling for calm, which basically says, hey, he's not even trying to do another insurrection anymore. Right. I mean, it, it kind of it, it, it makes clear he's he's the one making the violence. So now he's calling it off. So what's the problem? Right. It's good. It's good. He's decided not to do any more violence. And who was it over the weekend? There was a Republican senator on one of the Sunday shows saying Trump like touched the hot stove and he's not likely to do it again. Oh, it's that was like, uh, the guy from Missouri. Um, Blunt. Roy, Roy, Bl yes, Roy Blunt. Blunt. Right. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, yeah. there's been a lot of those moments over the last four years, and uh, he keeps going back to the <laughs> stove. So. This is the pivot. This is the tone change we've been Finally. waiting well, for. Well, you know, when things were... Oh, and I actually, by the way, I looked up. She was elected in 2016. So she was just elected to her third term. She was she was made head of the House caucus in her second... At the beginning of her second term. So, yes, pretty rapid wow. rise. Yeah. Um, the, the, what, what struck me... Um, well, here we can, we can we can come back to that. Never mind. <laughs> sure, but yeah, Kate, like you said, I mean, it doesn't really seem like there are any, you know, a, a bunch of other Senate Republicans eager to denounce Trump. Partly because, like Josh mentioned in his intro, they all want to carry the mantle, right? And and kind of, you know, Trump's last gasp of power, voting against him as a Republican senator who has higher ambitions, I don't know, isn't a good way to uh, endear yourself to his base, I guess. Yeah, I mean, in the hours after the ransacking of the Capitol, when even having those lawmakers come to terms with the fact that Trump's behavior had put their their own personal physical lives in danger, the fact that we still had Republicans and a great number of them in the House um, voting against the Electoral College certification. I feel like that's kind of all you need to know because how does this become any more real to you than having people 
we may or not may not have guns, you know, pounding down the door of the chamber while you're hiding inside. If that's not enough to kind of get you off the Trump train, I just think you've like you've drank the Kool-Aid to a point where it's it's in your bloodstream. Yeah. Um, well, Kate, you've been doing other reporting on kind of, you know, censure measures or I guess, um, you know, amendments that could maybe boot a lawmaker from Congress. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is kind of leading an effort to to expel, I guess, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz. Maybe there are others in his particular statement. But um, are there is there any chance that anything like that would happen? Is it just too high of a hurdle to overcome? Um, what are the options there? Yeah, so there's been a lot of buzz specifically about Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which was, um, you know, adopted in the Civil War basically to keep uh, people who were part of the Confederacy from holding office in the, you know, the newly stitched back together government. Um, and I think it part of the reason it caught flame at the beginning is as soon as people started using the word insurrection, because that's what it says directly in the text, that you're if you're engaged in insurrection against the United States, um, you can be prohibited from holding office again. Also, because that's kind of a neat solution to the senators not voting to convict thing. You know, it could be another way to keep Trump from running again. Um, so there's been a lot of chatter about that. Uh, what's interesting about it is from my reporting, how little agreement there is, even between kind of top tier constitutional law experts about um, how to use it, how it's enforced. And that's really because it's just kind of lain dormant for the past 150 years. But there does seem to be a from people who support it. You know, for instance, I talked to Lawrence Tribe at Harvard and he thinks that uh, it's just kind of a way for Republicans to avoid taking the hard vote on impeachment. But one path that's been attracting some attention is doing a joint resolution in, call it, in uh, Congress saying that Trump is in violation of Section 3. Some people also want the other Republican lawmakers to be lumped in. Have them vote on that takes a simple majority. Now, a joint resolution doesn't actually do anything, but the point, the idea is that that could kind of lay the roadmap for whatever court is inevitably going to have to decide if Section 3 applies to the president and the lawmakers, uh, which would happen, you know, when they try to seek office again, because you are kind of locked up in Congress um, by the attainder clause, which you know means that you can't uh, use legislatively single out a person and say you're guilty of a crime without giving that person their due process. Um, so there have been some like creative solutions. You know, uh, Brian Boiler, a TPM alum, had an opinion piece in the New York Times where you know one of his suggestions was to get around the attainder clause. You know, not just make it Trump or not just make it these lawmakers, make it everyone who took an oath to the uh, Constitution and then aided and abetted the insurrection. So there are different kind of ideas like that. Um, I think the reason why that. So that one's attractive because it might be able to fill in the hole if uh, the Senate doesn't convict Trump. Probably the downside of that is that it, there's not going to be any immediate gratification there. It's going to come down to, you know, a case, a lawsuit when these people slash Trump tries to run again. You know, so that might not be kind of the retribution I think people are looking for in this moment. Um, but there just aren't all that many options, especially now that last night we saw Mike Pence definitively say he's not going to invoke the 25th, um, which seemed likely. But I think there was some hope because, again, reports of like McConnell, you know, Pence and Trump are not on very good terms right now. You know, Trump tweeted out angrily at Pence while the mob was battering down the doors at the Capitol. 
And I can tell you, you know, from a look at, um, I was looking at Ashley Babbitt, the woman who was shot. I was looking at her social media and kind of the social media of people who she followed and who followed her. Big connecting theme. They are very angry at Trump, you know, and a lot of them were retweeting calls from Lynn Wood to have, or very angry at Pence, excuse me, they would never be mad at Trump. But, and a lot of them are retweeting calls from Lynn Wood to have him executed. Um, so I think people might have held out the hope that, Pence would see his life flash before his eyes and not feel such fealty to Trump. But um, yeah, no such luck with the 25th. So it kind of right. seems right now like it's going to be impeachment and then it's going to be whatever kind of patchwork of other constitutional uh, measures, you know, can be in put in place. I know you mentioned the censure too, but Nancy Pelosi already said that they're not going to do that. I think the idea being that it's much too mild. Right. And so the Senate is out until the 19th, I guess. And Josh, I'm curious, like, you know, I could think Steny Hoyer was maybe saying today that the House will send the articles immediately to the Senate. There was some idea whether they would wait until after Biden's first 100 days so there could be, you know, legislative action on COVID and various other things. What do you, you know, what do you make of the strategy to do it after Trump kind of inevitably leaves office? Is it important enough still just that it would bar him from running again? And that's sort of a, you know, a protective, I don't know, element to the country, I guess. Um, what do you make of yeah, that? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of pretty skeptical of this 14th Amendment stuff. The, the, I mean, the, the clear, th that amendment was about the Civil War and about the Confederacy, uh, that part of that amendment. Now, it's, it doesn't, it can't only be the Confederacy, but I don't, I don't think it's about what Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz did. I just, I, I think what they did is disgraceful. I think it would be entirely in order to expel them from the Senate. I just don't think what they did is, is really included in, in, in that part of the 14th Amendment. I think it would be plausible with Trump, and it's certainly plausible for anyone who was involved in that, in that incident, absolutely. But um, uh, the good thing about impeachment is you can just say you have violated your oath, you've been kicked out of the presidency, and you can't run again. You don't need to kind of say, insur you just say, this is, this is the penalty, and you, you have, uh, you're not fit to be president. There's no kind of, uh, you know, special explanations you need or anything like that. So I don't, uh, and, and... Um, so that applies to Trump. I, I really, I am not sure what we are accomplishing trying to constitutionally bar people from running for, for office again in general. I'm not saying they don't deserve it. Uh, but if you're doing it like on a party line democratic vote, that's, that's not going to be sustainable. That's just not, that's just not going to work. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we know the leanings of the federal judiciary and there's no question to me when they have a pretty decent legal case, legal argument, yes, they'll just, they just won't enforce it and it won't, and, and it won't, um, and it won't matter. Uh, in terms of the impeachment thing, uh, you know, it's, I am generally pretty, uh, dismissive of doing things for symbolic importance. And uh, 
under almost any circumstances, the idea that you would kind of spend the last, literally the last days of someone's presidency impeaching them just seems like a waste of time. The reason I thought it was so important here is A, because this is such a dramatic and unprecedented and unimaginable breach of the oath. I think it's just necessary. But what really made it necessary in my mind is just the danger. I, you know, every day this guy is in office at this point is not just a danger to the Constitution. It is a danger to the lives of the of the people in the government. Um, so having said that, I, you know, once he's impeached, once he's out of office, I think it would be a uh, a, a really silly and stupid thing to upend getting Joe Biden's government in place to be holding a, a, a trial for Trump. That would be stupid. That would be really dumb. Um, whether or not you ever hold it, frankly, is I, I don't really care about particularly. You know, once he's out of office, um, if things move decisively and everybody says, yes, he should be convicted, he should be barred from it, great, r- run the trial. But like going through the motions again to get like a, a, a 52 vote, kind of like whatever. There, there's, if we were in a different moment, if we were not in a situation where the, where the country is in a profound, profound crisis that has nothing to do with this stuff, the fact that we are in the throes of a horrible epidemic that is much worse than it has ever been in the last year. There's something like basically twice the number of people dying every day as died in the peak back in back in the spring. You still have the economy in shambles. You have this race now between getting the country vaccinated and and, and having this new variant of COVID, which, again, we don't 100% know the science here and whether, you know, whether it's actually more contagious. But the people who I follow and trust, that's their working assumption. So, and, and, and the vaccination push is a classic example. You need federal leadership. You need the federal government to come in and say, okay, here's how we're going to do this. And, and get it done. And those things are so critical. The, the second Joe Biden's in office, he just needs to focus on, on, on being president. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, oh, you know, kind of look to the future, not to the past. All, all the other stuff. I mean, you've got a Justice Department. They can deal with all the things that need to be dealt with. But you don't need to be, you know, doing impeachment during the day and 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 confirming Joe Biden's cabinet during the. That's dumb. That's just dumb. So I impeach him. If it seems like the Republicans are kind of holding strong, just put it on ice, and and we have we have other things we need to do. I have to say that I am kind of inclined to agree with you, Josh. Um, and also, some part of me thinks that convicting Trump in Biden's term would to some degree be doing Republicans a huge favor um, because if you look at the past four years, it's just stunning what the Trump, what electing Trump has cost them. You know, in four years, it cost them the House, the Senate and the White House. That is pretty 
historically unusual and a pretty massive route when you look back on it. Um, and I think, you know, it's like what McConnell's, um, what the New York Times report about McConnell said, you know, he's pleased to have Trump scrubbed from the party. And I think a lot of times we've seen that it's been kind of um, Republicans saying that is more um, virtue signaling, I guess, saying, you know, I don't agree with him, whatever. But I think to some degree, it's true. Like, they just lost two runoff Senate seats in Georgia. Republicans lost that. And it seems like it was, you know, a lot of factors. Trump was a big one, you know. So I think having him barred from office again might be exactly what Republicans want, which is they kind of got everything they could get out of him. Now he's turning out to be this massive political liability. So let's just have Democrats take him take him off our hands for us. You know, I think the Republican Party should have to reckon with Trump, should have to reckon with the idea that he's going to threaten to run again, probably for as long as he lives, rest of his life, every cycle. That's what he was doing before 2016 anyway. Um, That's a good point. I think they should have to reckon that. And I think, you know, if Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz want to be president so bad, as it's clear they do, fine, take them on. You know, see if you can win as supporters, see if you can do better. I just think the Republican Party has to, either they're going to continue to realize that the backlash to Trumpism is a lot more powerful than Trumpism itself, um, and I think they need to reckon with that and deal with the fact that, you know, they created this monster. Now you got to deal with them. Yeah, that's a good point, Kate. I feel like, you know, maybe we, we can spend just the last couple of minutes we have. I mean, Kate and I were talking before we came on on the air, just that it's such a horrible but like fitting end of the Trump years, you know, that we have this deadly insurrection violence last week, we have Trump basically showing no remorse for it whatsoever. And, you know, we just got through a year, 2020, of like just the most insane news and just, you know, I guess political crises we've ever experienced in 2021 is starting out like with another bang. I mean, Josh, could you see this ending any other way? Was there any other alternative that, I don't know, would have even reasonably played out? I guess I'm forgetting who the... Um, official was who said after the election, like, oh, what's the harm in humoring Trump for a little bit on this, pretending he didn't uh, lose the election kind of thing? Well, you know, we've seen the disastrous consequences of humoring that. Yeah, now. I mean, I, I did, and I, I wrote this in various contexts, I thought that if Trump was, was um, you know, Trump was defeated, it would be a very chaotic and dangerous uh, interregnum between the two presidencies. I, I mean... <laughs> I'm still kind of baffled and, and amazed at quite what has happened. I mean, it is you it is it is just an ongoing feature of Trumpism that you get used to crazy stuff and you look back on this uh, you know, more than two months now since the election, and man, I have I have uh, seen, uh, uh, you know, presidents defeat, you know, incumbent presidents defeated before. And I've seen, you know, in some ways, 2008 was a little like that. Bush wasn't defeated, but it was a massive repudiation of Bush, right? And, and Obama coming in. So it had elements of this kind of an incumbent being routed, even though it wasn't Bush, it was, it was McCain. 
and uh, you know everybody goes out of their way to say you know that you know the new the new guy says only one president at a time, respect the process. Uh, everybody kind of says over and over peaceful chant. That's what makes us different. Blah blah blah. And I mean Jesus fucking Christ. Just look at the last two months. We have had this escalating campaign of lies. We have had all of these crazy efforts to overturn and contest what was not a close election. He lost, I mean, it's not a landslide, but it was not close. It wasn't close by either measure. We have all this stuff and it escalates and escalates. And this, this like mob invades the Capitol. People get killed. You've got members of Congress running around in gas masks. I mean, this is the fucking craziest thing like I've ever seen in my life. It's unimaginable. And we still have these conversations like we need to preserve the peaceful. This is not a peaceful transfer of power. We're, we're past that. You know, <laughs> um, we have the, the military occupying the Capitol building right now. Because of what happened... The military needs to be there to pretend and to to prevent another armed attack or people trying to again wage war against the government to prevent Joe Biden from being inaugurated or kill Joe Biden or kill Nancy Pelosi or kill Mike Pence. I mean the whole thing it's not just, you know, when you say peaceful transfer of power, that doesn't just mean like oh well, you know, you don't want you don't bring in your army and like stay in power or something like that or kind of right or vice versa it means once there's an election you know what's going to happen you don't do this thing where everybody spends months on tenterhooks how violence are going to get are you going to get and get enough votes in the congress to pretend the election never happened you know this is kind of what i was talking about during the election itself that all of this stuff about it's rigged, it's this, it's that, all this, you know, there was this kind of like, well, he's not really going to do anything. It's kind of talk, you know, no harm, no foul. It's a huge foul because you end up contesting the election, not just with contesting the election, but also trying to, what if the election doesn't matter? What if we win the election and then his people, you know, Part of living in a functioning democracy, part of what it means by the peaceful transfer of power is that you don't have to worry that the rules will be followed. And, you know, worry is a funny thing. But when you have the election and one side wins, you don't have to worry about, well, is our paramilitary strong enough? Will we be able to mobilize enough people in Washington, D.C. to out all that, all this kind of shit? It's just supposed to happen. And I mean, that is kind of out the door now. Right? I mean, <laughs> the, the damage here is just incalculable. And, you know, look, I know I've been like on these kind of screeds during this episode, but <laughs> not only did this happen, but yesterday he's out there saying, like, you impeach me, I'll do it again. And he's being vindicated this morning in, in, in the, 
in the House. People are still defending him. Do you feel like the events of the last week or even Trump's just, you know, increasingly insane behavior since the election will do anything towards, I don't know, shrinking the uh, the lame duck period between the election and the actual inauguration? I guess it used to be all the way back in March, right? Yeah, and then, it was. Yeah, and, and Which is, can you imagine if we were still waiting till well, March Well, you know, it's now? an artifact of just a different time where you kind of need, yeah. you know... <clears throat> Took a while to get yeah, to DC, get, even, and, yeah. and, and and we you didn't had a horse around and let people know. Yeah, and, and also <laughs> yeah. you didn't have the centrality of the federal government in a way where you need to kind of you need to address it quickly, right? Um, but it's but it's worth knowing the reason it was changed was because the Hoover Roosevelt transition was such a disaster, and it was. They weren't trying to overturn the election, but it was a it was a similar thing, in which you've got this big national crisis, the depression, and uh, Herbert Hoover was pissed, and I don't remember all the details. I mean, again, he didn't try to overturn the election, but there's a general understanding that you know you don't you don't do big new things when you're a lame duck. You just kind of you know caretaker keep things moving forward until the new guy comes in and it was it was it was bad and that's why they changed it kind of like you can't have this period where the government is sort of um uh trying to even think the you know the right word for it kind of in a in a in a holding pattern and yeah at this point like given how we run elections and election contests and stuff and all that kind of thing you probably wouldn't want to have it shorter than like a month because again, you know, we haven't even used, usually we haven't even finished counting the votes until like maybe like almost a week. And then you do have to have some time, you know, to contest reasonable things. But I mean, this has been, you know, this has been totally like, this has been literally done for a month. The electoral college, I think was the 16th. Am I right? 16th. And I think that, you know, the, the, the deadline for certification was December 8th. If I, if I remember. Um, so yeah, this is, this is, this is a bit much. I I don't know. I, you know, that it's one thing that since no one's ox is obviously gored, there might be actually a move to change that. Because, you know, it's not like the Electoral College where Republicans are like, oh, we can't let go of the, the transition. We'll never get elected again, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, you know, uh, but I think, I think everybody gets, this is not, this is not good. It's, it's, it's just not good. There is uh, one thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about that kind of got swallowed up for good reason in the uh, events of last week. But something we'd kind of talked about is, is this going to be kind of the standard operating status for Republicans going forward, that they're never, ever going to concede an election, you know, that they're going to take to the courts every single time in the hope that they, you know, get a judge that's crazy enough that they'll go along. Um, And, you know, again, quietly kind of buried in the the smoke and the debris from the Capitol was uh, Leffler and Purdue both conceded to uh, Warnock and Ossoff, uh, albeit Purdue did it Sullenly. Gracelessly. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and, refused and to congratulate And Loeffler kind of too. Didn't she, didn't she not, 
what oh, I, guess, I guess she did call Warnock, but in mm-hmm. her little video speech, she's like, oh, socialism sucks. This is so yeah, bad. Yeah, she had a you little know. sprinkling at the end of the social radical agenda. But um, yeah, she did say, you know, she called him, said it by name, said she wished him well, which is to be, you know, the Just least the she bare could do minimum. after the, yeah, the overtly bare racist campaign that she ran. But um, yeah, Purdue in like, you know, your fifth grade style refused to name Ossoff. He said my opponent in his statement, you know, the campaign told me that he did not call Ossoff to concede before he put out the statement. So again, as immaturely as possible, but they conceded. They both conceded. They both, you know, Purdue also <laughs> pretended like he won the first round of voting, which is like, babe, if you didn't get over 50%, you did not win. That's the way that it works. But they both said that they conceded. They both, you know, did not raise up the specter of voter fraud or, um, you know, people shipped in on buses. And, and, both, and that and seems bo- important to And me. both races were pretty close. Yep. Right? I mean, Outside I guess... the recount margin, but... Yeah, close. so which what was Ossoff, so like a touch under 1% or did he get to yeah. 1%? I think it was around... Point nine. Right. So the, those are the like kind that. of things like it would it would not be out of the ordinary to say, hey, I, I you know, kind of maybe I'm out of the statutory thing, but I want to recount maybe this, maybe that. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of and, and given the stakes. Right. They also could have even if they weren't going to win, they could have tried to kind of tie it up for a while. To, and that mm-hmm. really would have, you know, in some ways, I'm kind of surprised because they could have let's say they tried to do something like, you know, the thing with Al Franken in, in, in 2008, they could have kept Mitch McConnell in power through the period where Biden is trying to fill out his cabinet. And that would have meant that even if people were approved, he would have put through very different people. So, yeah, I mean, kind of, you know, that uh, it's an insanely low bar, but yeah, I guess that's something. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I guess Leffler on Wednesday night, you know, she even dropped her own objections to that was the results, to I me. guess, that in, was, that in was, Georgia. That was very too. interesting. And maybe that's partly to do with her concession as well, you know, just sort of, like you say, rising to the, the bare minimum of the moment. But um, yeah. I guess, you know, it seems like maybe she was a bit shaken or it was sobering having the Capitol ransacked and then, uh, you know, they had to go back well, and wasn't there and Wasn't there that report? Um, that when when Trump made that visit on Monday night, that he basically said, you do this or I'm going to like screw you when I get up and, you know, give my speech. I'm going to kind of unload on you that he that she kind of did it under duress. And I mean, y- you know, she made her bed. Right. I'm not 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 losing a lot of sleep over that. But in in that case, once she already lost and after the the thing, it would kind of make sense. She's like, fuck this. Why, why, why am I doing this? You know, I'll switch back. And, and, yeah. and yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, like you said, Josh, this is pretty much like the highest stakes non-presidential election you can possibly imagine. And obviously there were a lot of things happening. The Capitol getting ransacked, which I think maybe kind Focuses of dampened your their appetite yeah. Yeah. for this prolonged legal battle, um, which we are not going to, hopefully be able to count on every time Republicans lose. But I don't know. It seems to me this was a this was our first real world example of how Republicans would act post Trump. And I for one, before the Capitol got raided, hundred percent thought we were gonna see a legal fight. I mean Purdue even alluded to it. He said he was gonna exercise every possible legal recourse. 
Um, and, you know, while we're searching for silver linings in this extremely scary time, I think, you know, that's one. That's good. That is a norm that, you know, Trump obviously savaged, but we would rather have other people not follow in his example. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good... Maybe for once we can end on a slightly optimistic note. <laughs> Very and, uh, slightly optimistic. And leave it Very. there. And leave it there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, remember, uh, the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get 25% off your first order with the promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com, promo code TPM. All right. All talk right. to you next week. Later, folks. Thanks, guys. Bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.